Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome to Far-Fetched Fables, part of the District of Wonders Network. Featuring Tales to Terrify and Starship Sofa. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Wherever you are, wherever you're listening from, this is Far-Fetched Fables. Welcome to show number 180... I am your host, Nicholas Eaton Clark, and this week we bring you The Tavern at the Ford by speculative fiction master Dave Smeds. Tragedy and horror can follow a family for generations, and in the case of this story, it does, literally and figuratively. Dave has authored novels, short fiction, comic book scripts, and screenplays in a variety of genres, including science fiction, contemporary fantasy, superhero, martial arts, horror, and erotica. But he is particularly at home when writing imaginary world fantasy, as in his novels The Sorcery Within, The Schemes of Dragons, and the forthcoming The Wizard's Nemesis. He's even more at home with imaginary world short fiction, which has appeared in magazines such as Realms of Fantasy and anthologies such as Dragons of Light, Sorceries, Enchanted Forests, Return to Avalon, Lace and Blade 1, 3 and 4, and in 17 volumes of Sword and Sorceress. He lives in the wine country of Northern California with his wife and son. The story is read for us by Anthony Babington, a voice in the internet's head, who looks almost, but not quite, exactly how you expect him to. From his secret volcano lair in Minnesota, he plots world domination, experimental cookie recipes, and how to annoy someone into letting him voice a part on a skate pod. He also tweets occasionally, at Aleph Baker. And now, let's find a table in The Tavern at the Ford. Until that awful night, Azure had always assumed she would live out her entire life in the village. That's how it had been for generations. Grandpa had shared the history one day while standing with her on the old stone bridge. There used to be a ford there, he said, pointing to the willow flats where Coyle and Azure liked to play. Grandpa's great-grandmother Cinnamon had drowned there while crossing the river. Her husband Fleet had built the bridge in her memory. Working through his grief, by making sure no one else would die that way. 
Fleet and Cinnamon had been caravan folk, but the erection of the bridge caused more traders than ever before to cross the river at that spot. A village immediately sprang up. Fleet built an inn and bathhouse and grew wealthy. He passed down his holdings to his son, who passed them to his daughter. Grandpa was the next heir. As your mister, Grandfather. He had taught her how to study the tavern customers while they chewed their food, quaffed their drinks, had their smokes. He made her see how even a small quirk revealed a person's nature. Eventually she had picked up the knack, but it was hard to be sure of it now that he was gone. Even at this moment she wanted to go down to the basement, put her hand on the engraving of his niche, and talk to his bones. But he would scold her for that, if he could. There were customers in the common room. Just old Chisel and Root, finishing their game of pegs, but they were there, and therefore she was still on duty. She dipped her mop in the bucket and continued scrubbing beneath the corner bench. The front door opened. A man stepped into the vestibule. He did not stop to hang his cloak. He advanced at once into the common room, his scabbarded sword waving behind him. Chisel and Root straightened in their seats, their hands poised over the game board in that relaxed way that would let them seize the hilts of their own blades at the first sign of trouble. The stranger gave them a respectful nod. They returned it. As the man caught sight of Azure, his expression wasn't like anything she'd ever seen. Sad? Relieved? Proud? She wished Grandpa were here to explain. Eight years old now, almost nine. Azure nodded. Is your mother here? I am. The newcomer turned. Mama was standing in the archway that led to the kitchen. She, too, was wearing an expression that wasn't like anything Azure had ever seen. The man gestured toward the kitchen. Mama nodded. Azure started to follow, but her mother held up her hand. Stay. Azure lurched as if her sandals had been nailed to the floor. She glanced at Chisel and Root. Brows high, they were regarding the archway. Always sober when they played pegs. They both reached for their cups and seemed surprised to find they contained only tea. Root raised an eyebrow at Azure and tilted his chin in the direction of the kitchen. Are you the girl I know or not? She nodded. A moment later she was tiptoeing down the hallway. Mama and the man were standing near the bread ovens. They were whispering. Azure only caught the man's final three words. He is dead. Mama slipped into his arms. He held her. She trembled. Azure was a tavern girl. She had seen Mama's lovers drape a fond arm around her waist at breakfast. This was something else. Suddenly Azure knew who this man was. Mama noticed her hiding in the hallway shadow. To Azure's surprise, she wasn't angry. Fetch Coyle, she said. It's time he met his father. She had guessed wrong. But then, the talk of someone being dead? Azure, hurry! Azure found her milk brother in the scouring crib, rinsing out bowls. She was bursting to tell him everything. But if she uttered the words, Your father, he would think she was playing a trick on him. You have to come now. He tossed the rough cloth in the bucket of wash water and followed at her heels. The kids found the two adults up in the family quarters over the kitchen, hurriedly packing clothing, money, and other necessities of travel. 
This is Burnish, Mama said. We have to go with him, now, tonight. Chisel and Root are still out there, Azure said. They can let themselves out. Go to the pantry and fill up a sack with food. Just a few quick things. Some bread, that round of cheese Vetch delivered today. A, a few apples. We'll meet you there. Come on, Azure said, tugging on Coyle's damp shirt. He let himself be pulled along, like he hardly ever did. She knew why. Burnish? he murmured. The Burnish? Yes, she said. Coyle said nothing more until they were in the pantry. She had him hold the sack and began grabbing the items Mama had mentioned. Do I look like him? Coyle asked. She tossed in a vial of salt as well. Yes, she decided. He ran a forefinger down his nose, as if measuring it. Azure would have said more, but a racket erupted in the common room. The children ran to see what was happening. Azure was glad her bladder was empty. In the middle of the common room was a gigantic spider, a spider as tall as a man. Chisel and Root were hacking at its front legs with their swords. The blades were bouncing off, clanging, leaving no mark on the creature. The thing pointed a leg and thrust. The tip went right through Chisel and burst out his back. Run! Coyle yelled. He pulled Azure away. They'd barely made it back to the kitchen when they collided with her mother. What? Mama blurted. Coyle tugged them both. Don't stop here! The spider burst through the archway. Azure screamed. Coyle pulled Azure back toward the rear exit. Mama sprang forward and was immediately stung in the chest by the spider. A flicker of fangs and it was done. Her knees started to buckle. Keep running! yelled a man's voice. It was Burnish. Coyle pulled again, and this time Azure fled just as fast. But both couldn't help looking back. They saw the spider rush at Burnish, who scampered up the stairs. The spider followed, squeezing its massive body into the passageway. Mama was left there crumpled on the floor, braid knocked loose and lying like a dead snake beside her head. Azure tugged free of Coyle and rushed back to her mother's side. A moment later, her milk brother joined her. You have to escape, Mama whispered, barely able to talk. We can't leave you, Azure protested. Coyle nodded. There's more at stake here than you know. If you love me at all, you will run, she hissed. Azure blinked. But... Noises of struggle reverberated down from above. Mama looked at Coyle. As soon as their eyes met, he sobbed, grabbed the sack of food, and darted out the rear. Go! Faint as it was, the word was clear. But Azure stayed where she was. Suddenly, Burnish tumbled out of the laundry chute. Without any hesitation, not even looking at Mama, he scooped up Azure, draped her over his shoulder, and propelled them both out the way Coyle had gone. No, 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 no! Azure said, her voice wavering as she was jiggled up and down. They made it to the lane between the tavern and the wheelwright shop. Coyle was on his hands and knees in the middle of the lane. Apparently he had gone so fast he had stumbled. He stood up. The dust on the front of his shirt merged with the water from scrubbing the bowls, leaving mud. 
Burnish tossed Azure to her feet, reaching to help Coil. As soon as she landed, she grabbed the bag of food from the ground and hit him with it. We have to go back! We can't, he said. He grabbed her and Coil by the upper arms and yanked them onward like stubborn puppies on leashes. He was strong. She wanted to hit him again, but it was all she could do just to hold on to the bag. A waxing quarter moon hung over the wheelwright shop. Burnish tugged them to the ground in the deep shadows between the building and a parked vegetable cart. Their arrival made the small mule hitched to the cart flick up its ears. Azure knew that mule. It belonged to Root. It was the most placid animal she had ever met. Through the wheels of the cart and the legs of the mule, Azure had a clear view of the back exit of the tavern. The spider burst into the open. It scurried into the lane. It turned this way and that. The mule was no longer placid. It danced, struggling with its hobbles. The loaded cart, brakes locked, resisted the beast's attempt to surge forward. The dust it raised helped hide Azure, Coil, and Burnish even further. The spider ignored the mule. It clambered onto the tavern roof and surveyed the area. But this did not give it a good vantage of their hiding place. Azure made herself stay silent, even though she wanted very much to scream. Finally, the spider came down. It darted back into the tavern. Stay, Burnish whispered. Don't move. The spider re-emerged, carrying a silk-wrapped bundle with its mandibles and forelegs. It raced off down the lane in the direction of the bridge. The bundle was the size of a person. Isn't there any way to kill that thing? Coyle asked. Burnish made a choked noise. Yes, he said hoarsely. If you can get around the armor. Coyle hesitated. Azure knew he was thinking about what they'd seen in the common room. Coyle had always liked Chisel. The quarryman had lately spoken of making Coyle his apprentice. Chisel had been the toughest warrior in the village. Root had been almost as good. Finally, Coyle found his voice again. Are we going to follow it? What do we do about Mama? We have to follow, Azure interjected. We have to get her back. Burnish was wiping his eyes with his sleeve. No. No, we can't follow. But she's still alive, Azure said. She didn't actually know that, but her mother had been alive after getting stung. Maybe she still was. Maybe so. But I promise you, if we follow, we'll be caught too. That won't help her much, will it? He really wasn't going to try to rescue her. And somehow Azure knew if she tried running after the spider, Burnish would tackle her and hold her back. She stood up. She began crying so hard she almost made herself vomit. This happened because of you! Why did you have to come here? Burnish put his hands firmly on her shoulders. He made her meet him eye to eye. She didn't want to look. But eventually she did. She couldn't entirely make out his expression in the dimness, but could hear him perfectly. The goddess's minion would have come whether I did or not, he said. I thought we had a few hours, probably a whole day. I was wrong. I'm so terribly sorry for that. 
Azure absorbed his words. She decided he was being truthful. What goddess? Coyle demanded. One that will not stay dead, Burnish answered. Azure would always remember the next hour of her life, but even while it was passing it felt as though she were a sleepwalker having an unusually vivid dream. Nothing seemed real without her mother's presence. Burnish said they had to get out of the village. The vegetable cart became the means. Just as Root would have done, they went to the Riverside Quay. Soon the night barge made its regular stop. The crew, a pair of brothers, happily accepted the fare from Burnish and helped tie down the cart in the center of the platform, near the main stack of cargo. Minutes later they were floating away with the current. The barge was not due to stop again until dawn, when it arrived at Bolltown. That was where Root would have disembarked and taken his load to the market plaza. Coyle finished giving the mule some carrots and came to sit with her and Burnish at the center of the barge. They were out of the hearing of the crew. The elder brother had retreated to the stern as rudder man, and the younger to the prow to watch for submerged logs and other navigational obstacles. You're small for your age, but strong. Burnish ruffled Coyle's hair. That's how it was with me. Coyle never let Mama touch his head like that anymore. It was really odd how familiar Burnish seemed. The way he crinkled his eyes, the way he spread his fingers so widely when he reached for something. You keep looking at the banks, Coyle said. Do I? Yes. I'm looking for the spider, he confessed. Why? Coyle began studying the hollows where the moonlight didn't penetrate. Does it know we're riding the barge? If not, it soon will. Its mistress can sense what direction we're in. Once the spider consults with her, it will know where to hunt for us. Then why are we here? Azure demanded. It's an excellent place to be for now. The goddess's sorcery made that spider big and strong and plated it with armor. Couldn't do that without making it heavy. It can't swim. I never tried walking across the river bottom to reach the barge. It would get stuck in the mud. We're safe until we dock at Bulltown. What then? Don't worry about that yet. Which goddess is it that the spider serves? Coyle asked. Shrey. The one killed by your sister? Yes, but somehow her consciousness was preserved in a vessel of wire and glass. Two centuries ago, something or someone awakened her. Why did the goddess make the spider come here? asked Azure. To free herself. She's still imprisoned in the vessel. To be fully free, and be able to use all her powers, she has to create a real body for herself. The trick is it has to be just like her old body. So she's been capturing and studying her descendants to see how they're made. Are we Shrey's descendants? asked Coyle. Yes. Burnish tapped himself on the chest. I carry the blood. And because you're my son, you have it too. And so do you, Azure. Your father was also a descendant. Sprawl was some sort of distant kinsman of mine. 
When she studies her descendants, does she kill them? Yes. Apparently that's an unavoidable part of the process. Azure began shaking. She had never liked the idea that she might die someday. But to be tossed down on a slab and taken apart? By her own foremother? Why didn't Mama tell us? It wasn't yet time. We hoped it might never be necessary. Why? Azure choked. Did you think Shrey would give up? No, we thought she'd succeed. Burnished's voice was gentle. If, in the past few years, Shrey had found enough descendants for her needs, if she restored herself, then she would have no more need to chase the descendants who were still at liberty. But then she'd be back, Coyle pointed out. That would be terrible. Yes. Her restoration would probably be the worst thing to happen to the world since the long snow. Now that the other gods have returned to the sky, who could stop her? But what would that be to us? Just a storm out at sea. The kings and masters of great nations would be scrambling to assemble their armies to save their reigns. But you two would probably be sleeping in your beds right now, dreaming good dreams. Sprawl and I might be living in the village and learning to be proper fathers. But it didn't happen that way, Coyle said. No, it did not. The goddess is still hunting, and we are her prey. Azure found herself wishing she hadn't even been born. And that made her wonder. Why did you sire us, knowing what you knew? He sighed. I had hoped your mother would explain, along with the rest of it. I don't really want to get into it right now. Why? It's complicated. We have time, she said. She was afraid the real answer was, so Shrey could get you and not us. When he didn't respond, she gave up. She leaned back against a pickle barrel. Coyle nestled in beside her. Burnish found a spare tarp and covered all three of them. When the younger brother wandered past to give the cargo a quick check, he ignored them as if they had gone to sleep. An hour later, though, Azure and Coyle were still wide awake when Burnish gestured at the left bank. Keep your heads down. Look carefully. Along this portion of the river, the bluff on the left bank dropped sharply toward the water, almost as steep as a cliff. Azure spotted something scurrying along the heights darting from a gully to a cluster of olive trees, and then to the shadow of a rock outcropping, avoiding the moonlit open stretches. It made no noise loud enough to be heard over the sighing of the night wind, but the presence of something that huge and shambling could be felt. Azure began shaking again. She slipped into the crook of Burnish's arm and torso. No matter that he didn't give good answers to questions, she needed an adult to hold her. Don't worry, child. How can you say that? You know how to swim, don't you? Of course. The question was stupid. She had, after all, grown up in a hot and dusty village next to a large river. She could hardly recall a summer day of her whole life when she had not taken a dip.
Good. Keep watching the spider. I believe it will try to get ahead of us. We'll slip into the water. It will keep tracking the barge until it docks at Bulltown. It won't realize we're not aboard anymore. The spider behaved as Burnish predicted. It scurried ahead of the barge until even Azure, who had the sharpest eyes, could not detect it. The moon set. The river straightened until the elder brother was able to tie down the rudder and venture to the prow, where he and his brother began sharing a pipeful of rope bud. Burnish helped the children slip out from their places, leaving the tarp in place in such a way that it appeared to still be covering them. They slipped silently into the water, and swam underwater until the brush on the right bank hung over their heads. Surfacing, they caught hold of branches and held themselves in place against the current until the barge drifted completely out of sight. They waited a good long while in the shadow of the brush, but none of them saw any sign that the spider had backtracked. They swam across to the other side. The bluff was not as steep here. They clambered up the bank. The wagon road paralleled the river here atop the bluff, but they did not use it. They proceeded into open country, Burnish obscuring the footprints they had made on the road while crossing it. Where will we go? Azure asked. For now, back to your village. I left something there. It's not that far. The river wound us around. We'll take the straight way back. Is it safe to go there? It should be. Shrey can't send the minion after us until it ambushes the barge at the dock, discovers we're not aboard, and comes back to get new instructions. What will happen to the bargeman? Coyle asked. He'll take one look at that creature and jump off, Burnish said with conviction. The minion will take no further interest in them. They reached the village while it was still full dark. They moved along the outskirts, making no noises that might awaken dogs. The light was still lit above the lintel of the tavern. Usually Mama extinguished it when the last patron left. The front door was slightly ajar, having mostly closed after the spider had gone through. Apparently no one had noticed these odd signs and checked inside. The spider's assault had happened just late enough in the evening that few would have ventured outdoors since. No one would be missing Chisel yet. His wife had died long ago, and he had no offspring. One reason he was thinking of taking on Coyle as his apprentice. Root lived up Ramble Creek near his vegetable fields. His family had no reason to expect him back from Bulltown until the end of the coming day. The only sign of activity was the light from the windows and smoke from the chimneys of Vetch's bakery. Vetch himself would be inside, kneading dough. We shouldn't let anyone know we're here, Burnish said, guessing Azure's thought. The whole village would fight for us if we asked. You saw what happened to the men in the tavern. Do you want any more people you know to die like that? She shuddered. No. Burnish led them around behind the inn to the base of the path that led up to the guest huts on the hill. The structures were all empty at the moment, though due to be filled in just one week when the leapfish began their seasonal run up the river. We'll wait indoors until dawn, Burnish said. 
The huts are locked. The keys are inside the inn, Azure said. Should we get them? No, let's not chance that. We may not need a key. He led them up to the very last pair of huts, the highest on the hill, tucked back away from the others, each with their own privies. Azure assumed he was going to break in, and braced for the noise that would make. But Burnish just went to the front door of the one on the left, cupped his fingers at its base, and lifted. The door shifted upward, the lock released. Nine years and she never fixed that, he muttered. He opened the door and waved the children in. The interior exuded a welcoming aroma of clean linens and sachets of herbs. Mama always kept the huts ready for the next guests. Azure had helped her freshen this one just five days back. Stepping inside was almost like coming home. Coyle wasn't so used to where things were. He bumped into the end of the bed, and then Azure bumped into him. No lamps, Burnish warned. But I can't see anything, Coyle complained. We don't need to see much. This is just a place to wait. Up on the bed with you. Keep your shoes on, though. The chair creaked as he settled into it. Azure and Coyle stretched out on top of the bed covers. It was a far better bed than her pallet in the inn. Any other time lying there like that would lull her. Under the circumstances, the stillness only filled her with more questions. Apparently it was the same for Coyle, because all at once he asked, Have you always had to run like this? Not always like this, Burnish replied. I had a happy childhood. I was seventeen before Shrey became aware I existed. And there have been other good times over these past thirteen years. I found sprawl early in my roaming. We became like brothers. The road can be a fine place with the right comrade. Many men have spent their twenties roaming. Sometimes I think I might have chosen to live very much as I have in fact lived. But aren't you afraid all the time? Coyle asked. It's not a life for children. It's not what I wished for you. It's not what I wished for either, Coyle said. Not even when I wished I could meet you. Burnish was silent for so long Azure thought he was done. But then he added, Sprawl and I both vowed never to sire our offspring. We didn't want Shrey chasing them like she was chasing us. But we got born, Azure said. What happened? Coyle asked. I didn't want to speak of it. Yet, here we are in this hut. I suppose that's a sign I should tell you. What about this hut? This is where you were conceived, my boy. Azure was conceived on the same night in the hut next door. That can't be, Azure insisted. Mama never uses these huts herself. I take it you know what these huts are used for. Everybody around here knows what these huts are used for. Mama made more money from the rental of these two huts than all the rest of the in-rooms combined. I don't, Coyle blurted. Azure wished it weren't dark so she could tell if he was joking. Maybe he really didn't know. 
She talked about almost everything with Coyle, but not about that. Not since she had figured out what that was. Shall I tell him? Burnish asked. Yes, she murmured. She certainly didn't want to be the one to do it. You know how it is with livestock when the females come in season? How it is with cats and dogs? How at those times they can't be kept apart? Yes, Coyle said. He sounded disgusted. It so happens that if a man and a woman who already like one another have a cup of a certain tea, and if they then go to one of the bathhouses and breathe the fumes after a certain elixir is added to the hot water, and if they then retire to one of these two huts, then the pair find themselves consumed by the same sort of craving for one another that lower animals feel at breeding time. Mama would never have done that, Azure said, louder than she meant to. That's not how it happened. I told you I didn't want to speak of it. What's going on? Coyle asked. You hog puddle, don't you see? He's saying Mama tricked them. Don't call me a hog puddle. Coyle poked her in the ribs. And that wasn't what he said. Was it? Burnish was silent again. Oh, no, Coyle mumbled. She had decided she wanted a child, Burnish said. She didn't want a husband, just a child. What better way, she thought, than wait until a particularly fine specimen of a man appeared in her tavern, and then see to it that he joined her for a night in one of these huts. He would be on his way in the morning, and would never know all that went on. She would have a child and be able to carry on her life, without some man ordering her around. That was just the sort of thing Mama would do, Azure had to admit. It even sounded like her saying it. If it had been as she imagined, we might have remembered that night as the best of our lives, Burnish continued. We all liked Flora from the moment we met her. We being Sprawl, me, and my new sweetheart Auburn. We'd been in the village for a week, easing our road fatigue, certain we were far ahead of the goddess's hunters. Every evening the three of us would drink with Flora and talk, and laugh. He reached over and clapped Asher's knee. I have forgiven your mother long since. I hope you can manage to do the same. She should have told us, but she didn't see the harm. She knew Sprawl wanted to bed her. She only resorted to the tea and the elixir and the huts because she knew she was not quite in the fertile part of her cycle. The magic was the cure for that. She did not imagine Sprawl would care, given that he was never to know he had fathered a baby. She did not imagine Auburn and I would care, because she could see that Auburn and I were deeply in love, and we had even said we wanted children. Unfortunately, we had not mentioned that we dared not fulfill that desire. You must not blame Sprawl for his part in making you, Azure. You, Coyle, must not blame Auburn. Neither one realized they were under his spell, and both assumed it was safe to couple that night without those consequences. Let their ghosts rest in peace. Me you can blame. Why you and not them? Azure asked. 
because I didn't drink the tea. I pretended to out of politeness, but Flora had put honey in it to mask the unusual flavor. Honey makes my skin break out and sometimes even makes it hard for me to breathe. So I was not under a spell that night in the hut. I realized something was not normal. I had my wits, I just didn't use them. I wanted her, you see. Auburn was the woman I had never imagined I would be lucky enough to know. When she joined me in the bed in the state she was in, I chose not to worry. I took the gamble. We'd had to be so careful all those months. For one night, to just let go? It was irresistible. What happened then? Coyle asked. Sprawl and Auburn left the next day. A few fortnights later, Auburn began throwing up in the morning and couldn't abide certain foods she'd loved in the past. We realized what had happened. We knew that soon there would be two more descendants Shrey would want. From that point on, your safety was our foremost goal. Shrey can call upon certain magics to track prey she's already identified. She can't use those methods if she doesn't know who to look for. We hope to keep her from ever learning you existed. We didn't want to appear to have any particular interest in this village, so we roamed far and wide until Auburn grew heavy with child. We came back here for the births. Flora had to be warned. You were born first, Azure. Three days later, Auburn went into labor and... And she died, Coyle said. He had been told many times about his mother and why she could not raise him. Though in all the years Azure had overheard those same stories, she'd always thought her mother and Auburn had known each other much longer. Her mother had let her think that, she supposed. Yes. She died. Azure wasn't sure she had ever heard a man sound so hollowed out. And Sprawl and I left. Your mother raised you both while we stayed away to protect you. Flora did not expect to see either of us again. We all thought we would never stop running. Maybe we would be lucky and die naturally when we were old. Maybe Shrey would close in. We agreed to kill ourselves before letting her have us. But you came here after all. Yes. That minion... It's an ally more formidable than most Shrey has managed to create. It surprised us. Sprawl was captured. That's when I knew I had to come here. When the goddess... studies... her descendants, she does more than examine how they're made. She can harvest memories. Especially the strong memories. The ones her victims would most want to hide from her. The same minion that killed my father is the one after us? Azure asked. Yes. I'm not going to be able to fall asleep, Coyle declared. The light of dawn began to glimmer beneath the ill-hung door. Burnish stood up. Time to go, he said. They ate, used the privies, washed the crustiness from their faces. Follow me closely and quietly, Burnish told the children. He led them over the hill behind the huts, 
This took them into the heathlands. Soon they could see no buildings or paddocks or tilled fields, because all of those were concentrated along the river or along the caravan route. Ahead, in the direction of the rising sun, the soil became sandy and the sources of water few and far between. No one had lived in that wilderness since the time of the Barrow Folk. The people of the village only used it as a hunting ground for sage antelope or pheasant. The three of them threaded through a tangle of knot-limb and came upon a small field of mare-grass. A pair of handsome dun horses were grazing there. The animals turned toward Burnish and nickered. He ambled to them and leaned his head and right hand against their necks in turn. Azure and Coyle approached. This is bread, Burnish said of the slightly darker one, and this is butter. You had horses waiting? Coyle burst out. Why didn't we use them last night? Because they were spent, he answered, brushing his hand along Butter's dark mane. I pushed them very hard to get here when I did. I would have pushed them even harder if I'd known how little time I had. But there's no fixing that now. They've carried Sprawl and me away from danger many times. I believe they're fresh enough now to do it for the three of us. Shall we see? He went to the edge of the clearing. Azure saw a pair of saddles half-hidden in the shade of a feather-seed tree. Burnish whistled. Both horses came to him. He finished saddling both of them as fast as Azure had ever seen someone saddle just one horse. He checked their feet for burrs and waved the kids over to Butter. This was Sprawl's horse, he said. He likes to let Bread take the lead, so just let him. Don't worry, he's gentle with children. Azure hoped so. Neither she nor Coyle had done much riding. Other people traveled the roads. Their kind were villagers. But Mama had insisted they learn how. Had she been worried they might someday urgently have to use those skills? With Burnish's help, Coyle vaulted up and took the reins. Azure was tossed up behind him. She didn't want to be in the back. It left her with nothing to hold on to except her milk brother's waist. What if he lost his grip? But off they went. She saw Burnish was right about Butter. The animal was easy to ride. Unfortunately, that was not enough to let her relax. What if the spider found them out here? Where could they hide? Nowhere. It did not go well. Within a couple of hours at what Azure thought was too idle a pace, Burnish slowed the animals even further. He kept checking their gait. He called a stop, dismounted, massaged both horses' legs, frowned. Get down, he told the kids. They continued on foot, leading the horses. I'm scared, Azure had to say it. They were going too slow, and the country was becoming more open, the thickets of scrub farther and farther apart. Every so often they had to cross high ground where they could be seen from miles away. The spider is tired, too, Burnish said. That makes me feel a lot better, Azure snapped. It'll get us, but at least we made it tired. Making that spider tired is important, Burnish said. Now shut your mouth and keep walking. It was the first time Burnish had raised his voice in anger at her. Azure found she was unable to say one word more. They kept on, seldom riding, mostly walking, pausing only to water the horses. The sun sank toward the western horizon, 
That meant that when she looked back, as she constantly did, she easily spotted the giant eight-legged silhouette on top of the low ridge they had traversed just minutes earlier. Burnish turned at the sound of her sharp inhalation. Well, that's it, then, he said. It comes down to a fight. I thought you didn't want to fight it, Azure said. I didn't want innocent villagers to die fighting it. I didn't want you to die. Not if I could get you to safety first. But I knew someday I would have to try to kill that thing. I just wasn't sure until now that today was the day. He pulled a little silver puzzle box from Bread's saddlebag and opened it, revealing what appeared to be a small, withered prune. What's that? Coyle asked. A slow. The fruit of the blackthorn. I obtained it from an aged shaman of the north, who told me he picked it from a bush he had tended since he was a beardless apprentice. What sort of magic he worked over all those years is not something he would reveal, but he made certain promises about what I'll be able to do if I eat it. It could be he was lying, but now I have no choice but to trust him. Will it help you kill the minion? Azure asked. Yes. Then eat it! He put the slow in his mouth, chewed, swallowed, grimaced. Ugh. Why the Northlanders think slows are edible, I don't know. Did it work? Coyle asked. Burnish convulsed. His knees buckled. He caught himself before collapsing, though. It's certainly doing something. He straightened, touched his belly, grimaced again. Let's assume it's doing what the shaman promised. Here's what I want the two of you to do. He had them mount up, coil on bread and azure on butter. You angle off to the right, he told Coyle. You to the left, he told Azure. Don't gallop or the horses won't last. I'll take the middle and run straight east. The spider will go for me, I look like the easiest victim, and it will assume it can deal with you at its leisure once it takes me down. It will find taking me down to be harder than it expects. They all looked west. The spider was halfway down the slope, making for them at a ferocious speed. Burnish removed a pair of coiled ropes from Bread's saddlebags and looped them around his shoulders. All right, then, he said. He gave each horse a slap on the hindquarters. For the next minute, Azure had to concentrate on staying in the saddle and keeping the horse headed the right direction. It wanted to follow Bread. Finally, she was able to look back. Burnish was running away, but the spider was gaining so quickly it would soon catch up to him. Azure slowed Butter to a walk. She was safe enough for the moment, and watching was more important than adding distance. Off to the south, she saw Coyle doing the same thing. Inevitably, the spider closed to within a few of its body lengths away. Azure began holding her breath. Burnish sped up. Azure expelled the breath. Burnish should have been worn out by now, but he had doubled his pace. The gap was still too close, and grew no wider as monster and man darted around scrub thickets and hurtled between clumps of bunch grass kicking up sand. Burnish stumbled and fell, 
The spider was nearly upon him by the time he regained his footing. He raced ahead just out of its reach. Azure put a hand over her mouth. That stumble couldn't have been part of the plan. The pursuit went on like that. Azure tasted blood and realized she was gnawing the inside of her lower lip. The spider was so close, and yet it never quite managed to reach its target. Burnish somehow always managed to stay just out of reach. Finally, the spider's pace began to flag. After another half a league, it paused altogether. Burnish trudged a bit farther and stopped as well, panting. The spider burst forward. Burnish let it get near. Too near as far as Azure was concerned. But his burst was superior, keeping him out of reach. Azure began to see just how Burnish was manipulating the minion. Not toying with it, exactly. The thing was far too dangerous to toy with. But it was obvious by now that if all Burnish had wanted to do was run away, his enchanted speed would have had him out of sight by now. Bit by bit, the spider's surges became short-lived. Finally, it was crawling so sluggishly, it was moving just one leg at a time. Now, at last, Burnish showed just how fast he could be. He removed a coil of rope from his shoulder, made a lasso, and snared one of the spider's front legs. Also quickly, Azure would have missed it if she hadn't just finished cleaning a speck of grit out of her left eye. Equally quickly, he anchored the rope around a stout tree. The spider tried to shake its leg free, but it had barely started to do so before Burnish sped around behind it, snared one of its rear legs, and pulled the rope taut. He anchored that one to a boulder. The spider thrashed. The movements were sluggish but still very strong. Azure thought it might break free, but Burnish raced back and forth, eliminating the slack from each line, until the creature could hardly move. If anything, its struggles only made the ropes tighter around its legs. Burnish beckoned Azure and Coil. The children rode toward him. At his warning signal, they left a margin of safety. But they came near enough that Burnish was able to run over to each horse and fetch additional ropes. Soon he had every one of the spider's eight legs tightly secured. Eight ropes, Azure noticed. Burnish had brought along precisely eight ropes. Before she had ever seen him stride through the vestibule of the tavern, the ropes had been there among the horse's gear. The kids edged nearer. The spider was flailing, but between the bindings and its own exhaustion, it couldn't get even a handspan off the ground. Burnish laughed. Just a spider after all. No stamina. Not like a mammal has stamina. Coil spat in the monster's direction. Kill it! Burnish drew his sword. He checked the blade's sharpness by dropping a strand of bunch grass across the edge. The grass parted and fluttered in two pieces to the soil. He nodded. But then he took a step back and turned to Coil and Azure. Would you two like to do it? Hearing the question was like jumping from the hot pool in the inn's bathhouse into the cold water one. Azure shivered. She met Burnish's gaze. He wasn't joking. She shivered again. How? she asked. 
There's no armor down in that gap between the abdomen and the thorax. See how thin the stalk is that connects the body parts? Thrust the sword into that gap. Saw through the stalk. The minion will die as any spider would die. We'd have to get on top of it, Azure said. Yes, so would I to get the best angle. Shall I do it? No! Coyle said. He backed up to get a running start and sprinted toward the spider. He had to clamor to make it, pulling himself up with hands and knees, but he made it. Azure needed to take one deep breath before she could get her feet to move, but then she launched forward just as her milk brother had done. In moments, she was standing behind him atop the minion. The creature writhed. As before, it got no slack. It could pound its abdomen against the ground, and did, but could summon only a small portion of its strength. The shaking made the children dance up and down, but they were too nimble to be knocked off. Burnish took off his sword belt, slid the blade back into the scabbard, and tossed the weapon to Coil. Mind you don't cut yourself. Coyle drew the blade with care. Azure knew he wouldn't make the first thrust without her, and she was right. He put his left hand around the grip, and the right atop the pommel, and waited for her to wrap her hands around his. Then they both pushed down at the same time. Hard. The spider's chitin resisted for only a moment, its insides not at all. The children almost lost their balance as their hands plunged downward. The spider hissed. She hadn't realized it could make sounds with its mouth. It was in pain. Good. Coyle worked the blade back and forth, widening the cut. He stopped, wiped a bead of sweat off his forehead, and let Azure take over. Back and forth, in and out, the creature hissed and flopped its abdomen up and down some more. The jiggling made Azure's teeth rattle. Then the monster went still. She stopped. Was that it? Coyle took over, sawing some more. Right, they had to make sure. She took another turn as well. The stalk gave way. The abdomen settled into the hollow in the dirt created by the pounding. Azure tossed the sword into the clear. She and Coyle jumped down. Icker oozed from the apertures of the severed parts. The substance reeked of vomit and dusty cobwebs. Coyle covered his nose with his sleeve. Azure backed away. The horses snorted. Well done, Burnish murmured. Well done. Azure had trouble catching her breath. Her heart was pounding. She expected that Burnish would pick up his sword and start cleaning off the mess before it did something awful to the steel. Instead, he stuck his fingers as far down his throat as he could and vomited. Along with the remains of his most recent meal came what little was left of the slow, along with several flecks of blood. Are you hurt? she asked. Is it bad? I'll never live to be an old man, not having eaten that fruit. But that's something to worry about if I get to be a middle-aged man. What's important is I outlived that thing. He spat blood and bile at the eight-legged corpse. Is that it? Coyle asked, casting a nervous glance back the way from which the spider had come. 
Does this mean we got away? For now. The goddess has no servant left that could chase us down faster than we can vanish into those hills. He waved toward the east. Azure shaded her eyes and looked to the west instead, toward home. We can't go back, Burnus said. Not even now? No. I want with all my heart to save your mother, but if we tried we would fail, and we would die. She's already dead, isn't she? Burnish led Azure away from the cloud of stench and sat her down on one of the anchoring boulders. He took her hands in his and stared straight in her eyes. Coyle hovered at his side. I don't believe Flora is dead. I believe Shrey will keep her alive in the hope of trapping us when we come to rescue her. Eventually the goddess will realize we're not coming, so she'll have a choice. Kill Flora or let her go. I believe she'll let her go. Why would she do that? Azure asked. Shrey is many things, but she's not stupid. She'll assign spies to follow Flora. But Flora doesn't know where we went. She'll go back to the inn. There's no reason why she wouldn't. Shrey will let her. The goddess knows you want to go back there. She will be watching. If you ever come within a few leagues of the village again, she'll know, just as she knew which direction to send the spider today. Our only hope is to keep moving beyond the places she expects us to be. As long as we have yet to be caught, Shrey will have no reason to kill your mother. By keeping ourselves safe, we keep her safe. You're just saying that, Azure protested. Let me put it to you this way. Would you rather imagine your mother dead, or still alive and running the inn, holding out for a day when you can be reunited? Alive, she admitted. There you go. But if I never see her again, it's like she's dead. Not at all. There's a very big difference. He stood. But I understand how you feel. There is, in fact, one way you could see your mother again. How? Shrey must be destroyed, completely and permanently. Grandpa would be proud of her, she thought. Because she was able to tell from the way Burnish said it, he wasn't joking and wasn't playing a trick. He was saying it like he meant it. How? Coyle asked. I don't know, Burnish answered. But at one time, I wasn't sure how to destroy that minion. I learned how. I got it done, did I not? Yes, you did, Azure said. Killing the goddess will be much harder. But as long as we're alive, we may find a way. Azure thought deeply about this as Burnish tended to his sword, retrieved his ropes, and checked the horses. She thought about it some more as Burnish set her and Coyle back on Butter's saddle, mounted bread, and led them onward. Maybe her mother was alive. Maybe she wasn't. She would have to hope so. She was certain of one thing. The goddess did need to die. And when it happened, she would be there to see it. From all of us here at Farfetch'd Fables, we'd like to thank you, Dave, for allowing us to feature your story on the Triple F. 
Much like a certain giant spider, we pursued it for years. Fortunately, nobody was devoured in the process of procuring it for our podcast. A reminder to all our listeners that we'll be going bi-weekly pretty soon. We need listener support to keep up our usual weekly pace, so do please visit the District of Wonders Patreon page and consider making a donation. Every little bit helps to keep the fiction flowing. As always, please leave us a review on iTunes, Acast and other podcatchers, which also helps. Please remember that Farfetched Fables operates under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License, which means you can download the content and share it all you like, but you can't change it and you can't sell it. And please be sure to give credit where that credit is due. All other copyright remains that of the authors, and violators will be stalked by what else than a giant spider. On behalf of my editor, Gary Dowell, and our sound engineer extraordinaire, Mark Zanfardino, this is your host, wishing you a fabulous week. See you all next time. Bye now. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 